we can hold on to him and he'll be there for us and he can anchor us and be our strength and our hope and our faith and everything that we need. Budgets? 
Or is it all as bad as they say, and I need to do more to keep myself and everyone around me safe? Are these shootings a byproduct of years of slavery, segregation, and racism? Or are they isolated events blown up by the media to help one side win an election? Is our president sabotaging the USPS to manipulate the voting to stay in office? Did Corey ever actually have hair? I don't know. Those pictures could be photoshopped for all I know. I didn't see it in real life. Sorry, I had to kind of lighten it up a little bit because those were some hard subjects. Um, but what I'm trying to say is I don't really believe either way on all these uh, on all these issues, but it all comes down to what is the truth? For many years, I've been wondering what is the truth in the world around us with so much deception? I think the truth is we won't know because we can't control the chaotic world we live in. But we can live in the truth of our Savior. Unlike the world we live in, our God never changes. So when we hear things like, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And when we hear, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. And lastly, when we hear, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Our truth is, our God loves us, died for us, and lives in us. So whatever happens in the world around us, we always have him. And as humans, when we do pass, we know that because we have accepted his love and our love uh, and love our God, we will not perish, but will be with him for eternity. That is the only truth that truly matters. So when you're about to take communion, we have communion stations placed all around the walls, uh, around the auditorium. So if you are a believer in Jesus, and believe in the sacrifice he made for us, we invite you to take communion. And so as you take the communion today, remember Jesus died so we don't have to live in fear anymore. God didn't die to save our physical bodies from the inevitabilities, uh, but to save our souls from the punishment of our actions. So take communion in remembrance of that sacrifice today. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for never changing. In an ever-changing world, where at any second your life can be flipped upside down, we know that you stay the same. Your love never leaves us. Your sacrifice never dulls. Your promises never fade. We can live our lives in confidence that we will always have you by our side to face whatever happens in our lives. And when all is said and done, we get to come to you in the end. So Lord, I thank you for the sacrifice you made by sending your son for our transgressions. And I thank you for everything that you teach us. Amen. Feed me.
faith will stand And I will call upon your name And keep my eyes above the waves When oceans rise, my soul Show.
remain stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. My faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Jesus, So good morning again. Uh, welcome to Real Life and thanks for being with us. If this is your first time today, love to have you take a minute and jump over to reallifecc.us on your mobile device. Click on the I'm New link and uh, fill out that short form. We just want to send you an email, say thanks for coming. Uh, glad you're here. And you can do the same online if you're joining us there, live.reallifecc.us. Love to know where you're watching from. You can uh, get in the chat window there or uh, you can click the button and uh, leave that information too. So glad to have you wherever you're uh, from, whether you're here in person or joining us online. Um, that was my son-in-law who did the communion talk this morning, and I'm absolutely convinced that the hair is just so he looks a little bit more like Jesus and maybe a little more credibility about, I don't know, something uh, like that, but at least he's not wearing the man bun today. So uh, anyway, <laughs> I had to get uh, one in there. All right. Uh, we've come to a time point in our service where we give back to God a little bit of what he has given to us. And I want to read a passage from Ezekiel. So um, if you're familiar with Old Testament uh, stuff, Ezekiel is a prophet to the people of Israel. The people of Israel have been carried off into exile into Babylon, and things are not, not going well. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but. Uh, anyway, so things are not going well for Israel. They're in Babylon, most of them, and uh, instead of turning back to God and doing what he wanted them to, they continue to sin. And so God is speaking to Ezekiel, who then speaks to the people and kind of says, hey, here's what's going on. Here's why you're being disciplined. Here's what I want you to do in response to that. One of the things that I, I just highlighted it while I was reading the other day was this little bit from Ezekiel 7, 19-20. Ezekiel, God 
says this to Ezekiel, then he shares it with the people. Your silver and gold will be thrown into the streets like garbage. Because those are the two things led you into sin. And now they cannot save you from my anger. They are not even worth enough to buy food. You took great pride in using your beautiful jewelry to make disgusting idols of foreign gods, so I will make your jewelry worthless. It's always interesting to me, you've heard me talk about this before probably, that um, God's way of doing things is opposite of ours. We think things should be one way, and God, I think, loves to turn those things upside down. And so several times in Israel's history, because of famine and things like that, no matter how much money you had, you simply couldn't buy food. We we kind of think that's foreign to us, right? Um, Like, I can't even imagine not being able, having the money and not being able to buy the things that we need. Um, But maybe you have been to Sam's recently, like I was. Um, I don't know if this is sharing too much, but uh, we are down to our last roll of toilet paper in the house. And so I went to Sam's like you do. And, you know, we buy the big thing and it lasts for a long time and it's nice to not have to worry about it. Um, Not only was there not the brand of uh, toilet paper that we get at Sam's, there was no toilet paper at all. And I'd like to know um, what you all are using toilet paper for. Uh, So, like, I'm like, I have money. I have money. I just need toilet paper. And if you just give it to me, and it doesn't doesn't matter. I, I love the fact that God is able to take these things that we trust in and we hold on to. And, and we're like, man, I've, I've got money in the bank. I'm okay. I can weather this storm. I can handle this stuff. I think God maybe sometimes is in heaven. He's laughing and he's like, okay, you know, you can start with hundred or the dollar bills and then the $5 bills and then the 10 and then the $100 bills. But eventually you're going to run out of money slash toilet paper. Uh, and then what are you going to do? And so we have this thing, you know, things in our life that we think are our foundation and that, that we rely on them and we, and we go to them for like comfort because we're like, man, I got money, I'm okay. And God says, nope, it doesn't matter. God wants to be the one that we trust in, the one that we hope in, the, the one that we run to when things get difficult, regardless of what is going on. And it doesn't matter if it's a shortage of toilet paper or like it was in Israel, if it's a shortage of of bread and food. God wants us to go to him first. He wants us to trust in him in those times when we don't know who else to trust in because he is always there. He's always The things in life get turned upside down. Things we trust in might might not be there anymore, but God will always be with us. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us and for always giving us what we need, even when, oh, we don't even appreciate it. Thank you for seeing us through the difficult times, the hard times. Thank you for always being a, uh, what the scripture says, an ever-present help in times of trouble. God, I pray that, that, that we would not be a people who would put anything before you or that we would put our trust in anything else besides you but that we would always go back to you, that we'd always turn to you, that we would always be looking to you for help, for hope, and for healing in our lives. And that through you, you'd give us the strength through your son and your spirit 
to weather the storms that come regardless of whether we have plenty or whether we're in want. God, would we always go back to you? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you want to give today, uh, whether you're here or online, you can go on your mobile device to reallifecc.us, click on the orange give icon, follow the giving flow there, make sure that you uh, create an account if you've never done that before, uh, or if you have, make sure you're signed in so all your information will be there. Uh, that's a secure site. Uh, if you are in person and you want to give a paper, there's a bucket in the back for that as well. Thanks. All right, so welcome to part three of our Devoted series, and I'm going to start out with something um, that, that will, will, like, I just, I wasn't sure if I should use this. I'm going to, though, because it's relevant, it's what's going on in our world today, and I, and I think it's going to kind of fit, and you'll see that. Um, don't get too angry right off the bat, okay? That's always a good way to start a message, right? Okay, so I want to quote uh, just a p- portion um, from a, a German, uh, I think she's a psychologist who gave a TEDx talk um, not very long ago uh, about pedophiles. And she uh, said in part this, most of us feel discomfort when we think about pedophiles. But just like pedophiles, here's what I want you to pay attention to, we are not responsible for our feelings. Just like pedophiles, We're not responsible for our feelings. We do not choose them. We do not choose our feelings, but we are responsible for our actions. Now, I think she got one thing right. We are responsible for our actions, but I think we're also responsible for our feelings. Now, I don't care what your sin of choice is, right? Your sin of choice might be different from mine, but I guarantee you, if we could somehow peek into each of our lives, myself included, if we could somehow peek into each of our lives, you know, those parts of our lives that we don't want anybody else to see, and we try to keep hidden, um, maybe at night or in another town or in another place, So we think nobody will know me, nobody sees me. There's a lot of cars here in Wichita, and so I can park here and and, and be anonymous and nobody will see me. Whatever your sin is, we've all got something. And Satan will do everything in his power to convince you that that sin that maybe you've tried to get rid of, you've tried to avoid and haven't been able to, he will do everything in his power to convince you that that sin is simply who you are. That you can't do anything about it. That you can't be in control of your own feelings or your own desires. The Bible calls those things lusts. That you have no control. And they'll even go a step farther. And they'll say, it's, it's not, look, it's okay. It's not just that you don't have control over your feelings or your actions, but God made you that way. 
I want you to think about that for just a second. You have no control, but God actually created you the way that you feel you are. Now, buying that lie actually allows you to put all the blame for your sin on God. It's not my fault that I feel this way. God made me like this. For every one of us, when it comes to our particular passion sin, that, that thing that just keeps coming back in our life, that thing that we just can't seem to get rid of, or maybe we, have, we just stop trying. For every one of us, that thing that keeps coming back in our lives, we could say, this is just the way God made me, so why fight it? If God made me like this, then God's responsible. God's to blame, and I don't have to try and be any different. Now, this thinking takes all the guilt off of us, and by the way, it takes all the guilt off of Satan, and it puts all of that guilt on God. And guess what? If no one is to blame for their sin, and this is where I think all of this stuff is going, if none of us are to blame for our sin, then none of us can be excluded from heaven. Right? If my sin, the way I feel, the things I do, if it's not my fault, if God made me this way, God put these feelings, these lusts, these desires, these passions into my life, into my mind, if God did that, he's to blame, and so he can't keep me out of heaven. Do you see how that thinking, like that's, it's good, right? It's nice. We go, hey, I could do whatever I want. God made me this way and I still get to go to heaven. And that's the end result. Like that's the big thing. And, and here's why. Uh, first thing on the screen this morning, here's, here's why. I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Satan always promises a shortcut so you don't have to follow God's plan. Everything in, in our lives, everything that God promises in his word, Satan is always promising a shortcut. Look, you can still get there, but you can just go this way. It always promises a shortcut so we don't have to follow God's plan. And you can see it in the very, very beginning, right? God creates Adam and Eve. He places them in this perfect garden. Everything is great. They've got everything they could possibly need or want and they're naked it's fantastic everything is great in the world and what does satan say he says hey eve you can get the knowledge that you want and you don't have to follow god's plan you can take a bite of this fruit that god said not to eat from it's the only thing it's the only rule you have but if you break that rule, you can get this thing that God promised you without following his plan. Consider this, if God made us this way, then there is no guilt or shame. We can each pursue whatever our hearts desire. And the logical end to that line of thinking is that Jesus died, get this, Jesus died for God's sin, not for ours. 
If we follow that line of thinking that we're not to blame, God made me this way and so he can't keep me out of heaven and we believe that Jesus came and lived and died for sin but he didn't die for our sin because it's not our fault. Whose sin did he die for? Well, if God made me this way, then Jesus came and died for God's sin and not for ours. And I hope, I hope that there's at least some little spark in your life today in your heart or your mind today, when you hear that, that just goes, wait a minute, no, that can't be right. Today we're going to address this and more in part three of Devoted. So we've been talking about, uh, in this series, about how not to just survive our struggles, the struggles that come up in our lives, in each of our lives, and they happen all the time and every day, and they come, seems like, out of left field, and things happen, and we don't know what's going on, and all of a sudden, we're in the midst of this struggle. We just try to survive, right? God, through those struggles, though, wants to grow us through those struggles struggles through those times of difficulty as we strive to look more like Jesus. And so every time we face a struggle in our lives, it's an opportunity to build spiritual strength and stamina for the struggles that are going to come. And when we learned last week, when you point your life toward God, you can be sure that you're headed in the right direction, even in the midst of your struggles, even in the midst of the difficulties that you face. When you're focused on God, when you keep Him in your sights, you're going to be able to weather those storms and continue moving forward. Today, James is going to address the blame game. And believe it or not, humanity has been trying to blame God for our situation, for our sin, ever since the beginning. Now, I mentioned uh, Adam and Eve already, um, but let me give you a few uh, others. Uh, one of the big ones that maybe if you went to VBS or you grew up in church at all, you have any recollection church stuff, um, you'll know this one. Uh, no one wants the blame like Cain and Abel, right? Cain killed his brother Abel because... Cain's sacrifice to God was unacceptable. Cain gave God the least of what he had. And Abel gave God the best of what he had. And, and, and so instead of Cain going, maybe I ought to offer a better sacrifice, a sacrifice that God actually asked me to give, he just goes, well, if I just kill Abel, then my sacrifice will look better. Do you, ever, do you see that in your life? Okay, if you work out in the world, you have a job somewhere, you work out in the world, this plays out all the time. I don't want to do my job better. I'll just make you look bad so that I look gooder, better. Right? So, so we do that. We like play that gets played out even in our lives today. But really, that's what it was about. Cain was just like, well, God, if you think Abel brings you a better sacrifice, which he did, because Abel brought him the sacrifice that he asked for, I'll just kill him so mine looks better. Uh, how about this one? The Israelites blamed Moses and God for uh, their problems, for bringing them into the desert to die. That's what they said. So, 
So God, through Moses, rescues the Israelites from 250 years of slavery at the hands of the Egyptians, and the Israelites complain about it. Why did you bring us out here? They said, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Why'd you have to bring us out to the desert? And if I were Moses, I'd be, heck yeah, there was enough uh, graves in Egypt, and you can go back anytime you want. They blamed them. Even though God and Moses were leading them to a better homeland, the Israelites treasured pleasure over the presence of God among them. I think we could say that the Israelites, like the 40 years in the desert, that was a struggle, right? They had lots of struggles that they had to work through. God was trying to show them that he loved them and cared about them, was going to provide for their needs, and they continued to, to blow it when they, when they uh, got into those struggles. We're thirsty, we're hungry, whatever. And God's like, I'm right here. All you got to do is ask, and I'll give you whatever you need. But instead of asking, they just complained. And then they blamed God and, and Moses. The last one, I think, is, is kind of interesting. Um, it's Judas. Judas blamed the religious leaders. So Judas is the guy who betrayed Jesus to the religious leaders of the Jews in uh, that day that led to Jesus' crucifixion, right? And we know that Jesus took, or Judas took 30 pieces of silver, and then he met Jesus out in the garden. He gave him a kiss, and then Jesus was arrested and taken off. And then Judas felt bad about it, and he goes back to the temple, he finds the religious leaders, and, and he says, you, you betrayed innocent blood. And he throws the money at them. Judas was trying to blame them. Like, <laughs> this is so silly, the way we do this. Judas is like, yeah, yeah, I took your bribe to kill the guy that I was supposed to be following, but you bribed me, so it's your fault. We blame all the time. When we face struggles, it's really easy for us to want to blame someone or something else in our lives besides ourselves. Nobody wants to take the blame for the things that we've done. It's so much easier to put that onto somebody else. It makes us feel better about our situation when we can place the blame on someone other than ourselves. But James, I think, corrects this feeling in our text for today. So let's look at James 1, 13 to 15. Again, we're in the message. Uh, we're just going to be in the message this whole series, message version. So here's what James says. Don't let anyone under pressure to give in to evil... So Satan is tempting them. Satan's working in their lives to try to get them to give in to evil. Don't any of them say, God is trying to trip me up. James says, God is impervious to evil, and he puts evil in no one's way. The temptation to give in to evil comes from, who? what's that? Who? Us. You, you and me. And only us. Ouch. We have no one to blame seducing flare-up of our own lust. Lust gets pregnant, has a baby. That baby is called sin. Sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. So James pulls no punches here. He recognizes that when struggles come into our lives, we often don't have the bandwidth emotionally, spiritually, to think things through properly. And so we might be tempted to blame God, and, and we go, why are you putting me through this? Now, to be honest, there have been points in my life where I've done that. God, 
God, why are you making this so hard? God, why am I having to go through this struggle? Aren't I doing what you want me to? We might be tempted to blame God. So James wants to clear some things up. So two things about God and evil that James says. The first one he says is that God is impervious to evil. Okay? Evil can't touch God. Evil's not a problem for God. Yes, it exists, but God is not tempted by evil. God does not make decisions or alter his course because of evil. Think about that for a minute. It doesn't matter what's going on. You and I, when evil is presented in our lives, a temptation is presented in our lives, we might alter our course. Remember, Satan promises, makes these promises that we can get things in, even though we don't follow God's plan. And so we alter our course from what God wants us to do. We begin following what Satan wants us to do. We alter our course because of evil. But God never does. God's purpose and his ways are always true. He, he doesn't make decisions or alter his course because of evil. Satan has no power over him, no leverage against him, and no ability to harm him. So, when you see that... Um, yin and yang symbol somewhere but that's supposed to mean um, good and evil and they're in this constant battle and, and you never know which one wins right because they're equally matched totally untrue totally false it's, it's not what we're taught in the Bible at all God has all the power Satan has no power in relation to God it's not even close there's no option. At any point, God could just simply go poof, and it's gone. Like he doesn't even have to snap his fingers. That's how much power God has. He can just think it, and then it's all over. Satan has no power over God. Satan is present in God's creation, but he has no power over the creator. So, God's impervious to evil. That's important for us to remember. Second, God does not wield evil like a tool. Let me nerd out for just a moment. Anybody watch uh, Lord of the Rings and willing to admit it? Yeah, okay. So I watched not just Lord of the Rings, but um, The Hobbit uh, too, all six of them, extended versions. It's all cool. I like that, I'm into that. Okay, so in the Lord of the Rings movies, there's the ring of power, the one ring to rule them all. I just, I'm getting excited. Now I'm going to go watch it again. Okay, so <laughs> the one ring to rule it all. Now throughout the whole trilogy, it's an amazing, uh, epic story in the Lord of the Rings. Throughout the whole thing, individuals are seeking to uh, control the ring or have the ring so that they can use the evil power of the ring for something good. Okay? The ring has power, but it's incredibly evil. And they say, well, I could take the ring, and I could use the ring's power, and I could do something good. I could actually fight the people who created the ring with their own ring. Oh, it would be awesome. God doesn't do that. God does not need evil to bring about the things that he wants to bring about in your life and mine. Evil cannot bring about good. But God can bring good out of evil or in spite of evil. Because God is all-powerful and sovereign over all his creation, he does not need evil to accomplish the plans that he has for you 
before this world. So in the midst of your struggle to remember that God is not only above evil of any kind, but he does not bring it into your life in the hopes that God uh, or good will come from it. So if you're looking to blame someone for your struggle, James puts the blame in two places. Yes, Satan does place obstacles in our lives in order to try and trip us up and get us to sin. Like that's kind of his job, right? That's his MO. That's what he does. He puts those temptations out there in the hopes that we will take the bait and then we will fall into sin. But James says it's our own evil desires that lead us to pursue that sin. Let me give you a really um, simplistic uh, metaphor, right? That has almost nothing to do with um, evil and, and, and good. It, it just, I, I think it kind of works. Um, and I'm on a diet, so it's important. You show up to work one day, and one of your coworkers, you're on a diet, you show up to work, one of your coworkers brings in donuts for anybody. There's a whole bunch of them. And your favorite donut is, is in the, I don't care what your favorite is, maple long john. Mm. Or just, just, okay, just the Krispy Kreme, like just the original with the glaze on it, and it comes right out when the sign is on, and it comes right out of the oven, and you bite into it. You can tell I haven't had a donut in a long time. You bite into it, and, and it literally melts in your mouth. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish. Okay. So you're on a diet. Somebody brings in donuts. Your favorite donut. Now each person there has the choice to either take a donut or not. But what do we do? If I take a donut, I'm going to go, I can't believe you brought donuts in. You know I'm on a diet. <laughs> right? I'm not going to blame myself. I'm going to blame you. You brought it in. I could smell it. I'm, okay, that's, that's how Satan works. He puts this temptation out because he knows that it's something you want. Satan doesn't waste his time on temptations that you don't care anything about. He's going to put those temptations in your life that are just important enough to you, that are just like, oh, just enough that you alter your course. And you go take it. We are each responsible for our own actions. James says it's our desire. In the story of the donuts, it's our desire for the taste of sugar that drives us to choose to eat even when we're going to regret it later. And if you don't believe me, let me put it this way. If any one of your coworkers brings in kale rice cakes... You're going to avoid those, aren't you? Like, no temptation whatsoever there. Like, I don't even care. I can stay away from that. So, you have the willpower. We have the, the power, God's power, the Holy Spirit power in us to avoid those temptations of Satan. We just choose not to. We have the ability to resist even when we choose not to. James goes on to say that it's our own lust, okay? Our lust for power, pleasure, or in our pride that we choose sin. 
Now, pride comes in and we go, oh, I, I can handle it, right? I can, I can do it. It's okay. I, I, can, I can take this one bite and then that's it. I'll stop. But if we consistently give in to temptations, feeding our lust, outright sin is the result. And when we let sin reign in our lives instead of the Savior, we're on a path to destruction and ultimately spiritual death. So, Julie, I'm going to skip way ahead. When we ignore the dangers of sin, we invite the discipline of God. So when Satan puts those temptations in our lives and, and we choose to partake in that, whatever it is, we, we alter our course, we deviate. When we ignore the dangers of sin, we invite the discipline of God. Here's how James puts it in um, verse 23 and 24. Those who hear, he's talking about God, God's word, God's instruction. Those who hear and don't act on those things, they don't apply it to, to their lives, are like those who glance in the mirror, walk away, and then two minutes later have no idea who they are or what they look like. Now, you and I do not understand this verse. Because not all of us, but many of us could pull our phones out right now Go to the photos or our social media feed and find about six billion selfies on there. We know exactly what we look like at all times. Because we can just look. Have you ever been in a place and you're like, oh, I, I want, you know, maybe my nose is a little shiny or something. Or maybe my hair is messed up. so I don't have hair, Easton. So if you just... We, we, what do we do? We take our phone out, we flip the camera, and we go, mm, yeah, I'm looking good. Fix my beard. Okay. All right? But, but look, on the day that James wrote this, they didn't have mirrors. They didn't have cameras. They didn't know what a selfie was. In fact, the only time they caught a glimpse of themselves was if they happened to be looking into a, I don't know, a still pool of water. Or, once in a while, they might pass a, a, a polished piece of metal and get a fuzzy, like, not accurate, but kind of a picture of what they look like. So it's really easy for somebody in the first century to get a glimpse of themselves and then completely forget what they look like. Can you imagine, by the way, not knowing what you looked like? Spending your whole life and never seeing your... Like, we don't have any frame of reference for that. But the people in, in, in James' day, many of them, they could grow up and never see themselves. That's, cra that's crazy to me. How they might have a big old pimple on the end of their nose? They wouldn't know. What do I do? Okay, anyway. Uh, so, <laughs> I don't know where it's going. Okay. <laughs> so James says, James says, look, if you hear what God wants you to do, you understand his person in your life, but you don't apply that to your life. You're like somebody who kind of gets a glimpse of yourself and then forgets who you are. Okay, if you're a believer, we hear in God's word about the promises about who God says we are. That we're loved by him and that we're his children, that we're adopted in. How great is the love that God has for us that he would lavish on us, he would give us every good gift we could possibly imagine. And we know what God says about us and about our ability to avoid temptation, to stay on the right path, to follow God to the promises that he's given us. Oh, 
And we get that moment, you know, at church and that song hits us or that verse is like, oh, that's wonderful. And then two seconds later, we walk away and we've forgotten. We've forgotten about what God's, who God said we are. We've forgotten about what he said we're capable of. We've forgotten about the strength that he said is inside of us. That's what James is talking about. For about three years, um, this verse could have been applied to our welcome team leader, Pam. She attended church on Sunday, but then during the rest of the week, the other six days of the week, she lived another life. And I'm going to let her tell you a little bit about that right now. You got to come all the way up here. That's a good, looks like it. Okay, all right. Thank you, Jared. Um, I think some of you uh, read my Facebook post um, a few days ago that um, I had been sober for 10 years. So, <laughs> thank you. So um, anyway, just to, I'll try to make this quick. <laughs> anyway, um, I started drinking when I was like 16, 17, because back then you could buy alcohol when you were 18. So I had older brothers, so an older brother, so I could get it easy. And uh, pretty much just drank all through school. I mean, not during school or anything, but like in the weekends mostly. Um, and anyway, that was just pretty much my life. Um, then uh, got married, had kids, um, still drank, drank probably um, eight to ten beers a night um, after work. Of course, I went to work every day. Um, they call that a uh, functional, functional alcoholic. alcoholic. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, drank more on the weekends. Everything, uh, 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 everything revolved around alcohol. And, um, but at the time, you just you don't, you don't think of it like that. But anyway... Um, in uh, 06, my son was in an automobile accident. He was 16, and he suffered a traumatic brain injury and was frontal lobe, so it was um, uh, impulse Affected his judgment, yeah. Yeah, impulse. affected his mm -hmm. judgment. Anyway, uh, didn't know Corey. He started coming to the hospital to pray with us and continued. And on day nine of Tyson's accident, um, the doctors, Corey sat with us, and the doctors said, um, there's not anything <clears throat> more we can do for him um, until his brain pressure goes down and we can put in his trach and his feeding tube. So they said we need an open window. So Corey, which we had just really met, um, and my husband and I stood out in the hall in the hospital and we prayed, Corey prayed for an open window, and we got it that afternoon. And so then, that's when I knew there was truly a God. And um, didn't make me stop drinking, though. <laughs> Yay, thank you, God. But anyway, um, did start going to church when Corey started in 07. And uh, still drank. Came here every Sunday, pretty much. Um, just, you know, and it, it was just who I was. Um, then after a while, I started feeling convicted. Um, God doesn't want you on the fence. He either wants you all in or, or all out. 
and I just felt like I needed to um, I needed to quit because that's who I felt like he wanted me to be you know not just somebody who comes and goes if somebody would have saw me drunk you wouldn't have thought I was a Christian and so I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that and uh, of course I was not raised also in um, church so thankful I'm thankful that all you guys bring your kids. It's the best place for them to be because um, I wasn't raised like that. But anyway, um, so uh, like I said, I had been coming here for like three years before I felt convicted enough, I guess. Um, not, just, not just coming here too. I, I mean, she, she kind of got involved. Like, like the, the welcome stuff she does, yeah. That that's like that's just who she is, right? I mean, and so I think within the first year or something, you you were just back at the door, welcoming well, people. That's because you know, God, He's just changed my life and um, so much for the better. And He just wants us to have joy. And for me, joy was He knew that joy was uh, for me not to drink at all I, because I couldn't just drink one or two beers. I had to have eight or ten. So that's, dang it, you know, <laughs> that's just better for me to just be, not have anything. Yeah. Um, anyway, so in 2010, I quit drinking, well, oh, in 09, my son went to prison, and that was really hard, and I think I drank more then than ever. Um, that was very difficult for us, and... Uh, so, but anyway, after that, then in 2010, I made a commitment because I remember standing there and saying, oh gosh, what am I going to do? Because God doesn't want you on the fence. You either go all in or all out. And then I was thinking about the friends I was not going to have anymore, and I can't go there, and I can't hang out with that person, and what's it going to mean for me? What am I going to do? And uh, he, just, um, he just helped me through it. He didn't take it completely away. Um, he, I had to reach out to him, and the more I reached out, mm. the more he made it easier for me to sustain. And so I didn't ever relapse, didn't ever take another drink of anything, or, yeah, because alcohol was my drug of choice. But um, so um, 2014, I got baptized, and so I, I want to make sure that you. Uh... That you that you understand this forty years, right? Forty yeah. years you drank. Yeah, because I'm and, sixty-six. Been sober since since when I was fifty-six. Yeah. And started drinking like at sixteen. So yeah. forty years. Forty years. Yeah. And um, this, <laughs> this is like you said, eight or eight or ten bitters. So the story that she that she's told me before is that she went to work and on her way home from work, stopped by the liquor store, <laughs> picked up a. Six pack, twelve pack, whatever you you got, and then you you popped the top on the way home, didn't you? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, it's, it's thirty minutes to Augusta. Well, yeah. What are you gonna do? Well, yeah, I could have two. But you know, all that time that I, well, I did. I'm <laughs> being honest. I'm being honest. It's good. I mean, it's just, um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just felt like 
A devil was on one shoulder and Jesus was on the other shoulder and be like, Pam, you're going to stop and get beer tonight. It would be like Monday. You're going to stop and get beer. No, you're not. Yes, you are. <laughs> well, Satan always won. You know, yeah. I still always stopped and got beer. And, uh, and, and that was fine until I just really got convicted. But it's just so weird how my son's accident brought me, brought Corey to our family, and um, then I started coming to church, getting convicted. It's just God's plan, and um, to look back on it, it's just, you know, all the, and I even drank and drove, I mean, you know, I was drinking and driving from Wichita to Augusta a lot, and um, I never had an accident, um, never got ticketed, never had a DUI, and I would never suggest anybody just take that for I mean, now I know that God was protecting me, and I, I don't know why. I mean, well, well, I, <laughs> I mean my goodness. but I, you don't know that at the time. You, yeah, right. And now I know he, was, he had a plan for me, and this is so much better. This is so much so better. So much better. So much better. Yeah. So, so, so if you knew Pam back then, and you, and you knew her today, you, you would not know her, right? I mean, the change in, in her life over the last 10 years has been remarkable. And so I, I look at that and go, I absolutely know why God protected you and allowed you, because he knew what was coming for you. You just waited too long, you, though, Daniel. You, <laughs> or, well, or maybe you did. <laughs> Maybe you, okay, I, w I wasn't going to take the time to tell this story, but just to give you, <laughs> I just, this is just fun. Oh, I know. With so I, story. yeah, we could go on. Okay. I, so I showed up to the hospital one day, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say, <laughs> showed up to the hospital one day and it was lunchtime and so some of her coworker friends had come to the hospital and they were all sitting there in the waiting room and so I walked in and we sat down and talked and they all had uh, coffee cups around the table and so I started talking about oh coffee what, what are you drinking you know and I, I like coffee in any way somebody even offered me some and, and I you know politely said no thank you once your germs um, anyway Pam later goes it's a good thing you didn't try that coffee because it wasn't coffee <laughs> so <laughs> yeah and we got another so, one for you out in the car <laughs> Anyway, I say that because I, I want you to know, this was not just, uh, this was not something that she just once in a while, did, like this was lifestyle, mm -hmm. pervasive, yeah. every, every. Um, so you said already God didn't just take it away. No. That it, that it no. took time, that you had to work at that, um, at, at, at trusting God, at avoiding the donut, in this case, the alcohol. Yeah, um, yeah. You just don't go to the places that, I mean, even though that when I went to family gatherings, I mean, they, they'd they have a bathtub full of beer, and I'm like, thanks a lot, guys, you know. But it's yeah. for me to choose not to. Yeah. But it's still a struggle, and um, we went to the lake a couple weeks ago, and doing good, and then some people pull up beside us, and they're drinking beer and going out on the jet ski, and I'm like, dang. You know, and it really was tough for me that day. Mm -hmm. But I knew, I mean, I'm not going to drink, and I, and I know that, but it's still just just there, yeah. you know. But God pulls me through. Yeah. yeah. So you think about going through those struggles, and, 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 you know, even after 10 years, facing that, continue. Like, Satan doesn't give up. We talked about a couple weeks ago that, that Satan looks for um, opportunities where we're exposed, where we're weak, 
Um, and then he's going to bring those temptations in our life to be, because the expectation is that we, we're more likely to give in to them. Um, but it's that constant um, fight to, to maintain, in, in your case, the sobriety. But in every struggle in our life, we all have the choice to make. And, and James, James said, it's, it's our own lust. Um, it's our own desire for the, the way it makes you feel. Or, really, what, what does it do? There's lots of different addictive things that we do, um, not because of the way it makes us feel, but because of what it allows us not to feel. So we can numb out. You know, you're, you're going through a difficult time with, with, with your son being in prison. What, what, I can't handle it. I need to just numb out. I need to just forget about it for a minute. And so that's um, what happens. Uh, okay, I need to wrap up. Oh. So thanks. Okay, so we're going we're gonna, to um, wrap this up uh, uh, pretty quick, I hope. I, I want to read another passage to you from James. It's verse 25. Because um, I think this verse is, uh, is, is Pam, okay, and, and, uh, and her new life. Whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, I think that conviction in her to, to stop was the revealed counsel of God. Whether that was from um, a passage that she read or, uh, or something that was said, a song that was sung, something was convicting her. Somehow the counsel of God through his word was getting into her. And, and James calls that the free life. And I think you'd agree that your life now is free. You know, it's much happier, able to do more things. It says, even if you catch this revealed counsel of God, even if you catch it out of the corner of your eye and, and stick with it, you're not a distracted, I love the way uh, Peterson writes this, you're not a distracted scatterbrain when it comes to these things. But a man or woman of action, that person, James says, will find delight and affirmation in the action. What's the action? The revealed counsel of God, whatever God's word is, is speaking. As you do that, then you find delight and affirmation in those things. I think Pam would say that she's found delight and affirmation in her sobriety. So if you're going to experience God's real life in Jesus, then um, you need this. God's word must infiltrate your world. Instead of living like Pam did for three years, letting God's word kind of soak in on Sunday, looking in the mirror of God's word, looking like Jesus, but then Monday comes and, and you forget what you look like. It's not enough to hear it or to read about it and then to go off and, and do your own thing. We've got to put it to work. We've got to stand on it and trust in it even when it doesn't make sense. Even when God's word doesn't make sense, we've got to stick with it. Okay, but I want to warn you of a couple things. This Next one, if you don't know God's word, how are you going to walk in his ways? We've been talking about that the last couple of weeks. We get in struggles, right? God's way, we want to follow that. But how are we going to know God's word? 
If you don't know God's word, you're not going to be able to walk in his way. So we've got to be in the word. We've got to be a part. That's why, that's why the Bible says, don't forsake the gathering together of yourselves, but encourage one another even as you see the day approaching so that you can be here and you can hear the word and you can be encouraged by others. And then take time during the week to read the word, to listen to Christian music, whatever it is that gets you filled up with the revealed word of God so that you can function in that. But here's another thing from what we've been talking the last couple weeks. If you're not willing to walk in God's ways, why should you expect his wisdom? If you're not willing to to do the things that he says, why would you expect him to give you the wisdom um, that you need when you face those struggles? I want to point out what James doesn't say here as well. He doesn't say that you must be a biblical scholar He doesn't say that you have to study God's word 24-7 or that you've got to be perfect or that you've got to know the names of all 12 apostles and all 10 10 commandments. He doesn't say that you have to memorize the Lord's prayer and just know it every time it comes up. What he says is, if you catch even a glimpse of God's word, That means you're not focused on it, right? If you just catch a glimpse of it, even out of the corner of your eye, whatever it is that you catch, if you stick with it, you'll find delight and affirmation in those things. That's what's so good about God. He's not looking at every aspect of your life and going, look, you're not perfect, and so I'm not going to give you. I'm not going to be with you. But where we're faithful to him, he will be faithful to us. And so when we catch a glimpse of God's word and we begin to operate in that, he will be faithful in that area of our lives. God's word must infiltrate your world. And if you stand on God's word, you're less likely to fall for Satan's. If you're going to look like Jesus, you've got to know what Jesus looks like. And reading his autobiography is how we know what he looks like. Reading his Word, particularly New Testament, as we read about Jesus and, and about looking like Jesus, that's how we know what he looks like. So crack the door to God's word. Open up the window of his word. Begin to follow that word and stick with it. Apply those things to your lives. And, and maybe if it's just one verse all week long and you just focus on that and think about that, God will be faithful in that area. Let it infiltrate your world. God's word needs to, to have a hostile takeover as the spirit of God fights against our own lusts. It's everyday faithfulness that saw Pam through the last 10 years. And so imagine if you let God do in your life what he's done in hers. Where could you be 10 years from now? I guarantee you, um, when I went into the hospital (laughs) and met Pam um, 13 years ago or however long that, 14 years ago, I didn't know what God was gonna do in her life. I couldn't see that. What could God do if you just catch a glimpse of his word and you stick with it and you let him work in your life? You don't take the shortcuts that Satan offers, but you continue in that to follow God in your life. What could your life look like 10 years from now? When you let God's word influence your way, you'll begin to look more like Jesus and experience more of the real life that Jesus died to give you. Free from the guilt and the shame of your own sin, 
because Jesus took it to the cross. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray, and then um, I've got a, a, a little teaser for next week's um, video, and so uh, band, you can just stay there, all right? Let's pray. God, thank you for your incredible love. I thank you for Pam's story and her willingness to share it today. I thank you for your faithfulness to us. We've, we've been talking in the last several weeks about, about being faithful to you every day, but God, we can be faithful to you because you have been so faithful to us. You love us with a, a deep and pursuing and passionate love that we really just have a hard time comprehending. So God, I, I, I don't know the, the sins that each of us are dealing with in our own lives, but I pray that this week we'd let your word begin to, to spill into our lives, begin to infiltrate our lives, our, our thoughts, the, the things that we do, the way we talk, the way we act, the places we go. God, would your word just begin to just begin to have, as I said, a hostile takeover of our spirit and, and, and our minds that we'd be turned back to you and that, that we wouldn't follow our own path, but we would follow the way that you've marked out for us through your word, that we might look more like your son and that by that, more people might find the real life that you so desperately want to give us and them. And so God, thank you for being with us in the midst of our struggle, in the middle of our storm. You're holding on to us. And uh, that's amazing, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for this opportunity. Be with us this week as we do our best to hold on to you. In Jesus' name. The universe is a pretty big place, and our planet is just a small part of it. It's hard sometimes to imagine that in the vastness of space, God not only sees you, He knows your name. And in the midst of your struggles, He is present. Whatever struggle may come your way, through Jesus, you are anchored in God's love for eternity. And even if you can't see it now, God is working in your situation for your growth, for His glory, and for others' good. The real life God calls us to, through our struggles, is good. His plan and promises span eternity and cannot be shifted or toppled. You are a part of that plan.